I'm Charlie Hipwood, CEO of Mass Ventures. And I'm Stacy Swider, an investor at Mass Ventures. And we welcome you to the Fundable Founder, where we'll be exploring relevant topics for technology entrepreneurs to help them succeed in raising capital and in growing their businesses. As a founder who started and ran three companies, I didn't know what I didn't know when I first set out. <laughs> but you eventually figured things out, right? For the most part, through trial and error and mentorship. But now as a VC, I'm frequently advising entrepreneurs on the same topics. So Stacy and I are here to share that earned wisdom with you, along with the experts that we interview on a variety of subjects. We are. The roadmap to a successful startup is at your fingertips. So turn up the volume and grab the keys to success for your fundable founder journey. Hi, welcome back. This is Stacy with Mass Ventures, um, bringing you a topic today of dual use ventures. And the expert that we're going to get information from is Dexter Ang from Python. Um, I'll let Dexter introduce himself and share what Python focuses on. Great. Thank you, Stacy. My name is Dexter. I'm the founder of Python. We're a Boston-based VC-backed company. We're five years in. We started in 2016 in the fall, and we create neural interface gesture control, which is, uh, in layman's speak, a sensor that is capturing voltage. It's worn like a watch. And then we allow users to be able to control drones just by lifting up their finger or pointing at um, you know, smart home lights and being able to, to change you know, the, the setting of your light just by lifting your finger up and down. Yep. So we're launching a, <laughs> yeah, That's cool. launching a, a new type of technology category. Uh, and it's very much we've had demand from different industries. We started off with the um, solving, seeking to solve a problem in the ALS community, which is a disability that my mother experienced mm -hmm. that she passed away from ALS in, in one year. Uh, and then that's as we saw demand for that, we started working with commercial companies like Bose, who led our seed round a couple of years ago. And then ultimately, we do a lot of work in the in the federal defense tech space. And now, as we think about you know, where our ultimate trajectory is as a company is actually to get our technology into every smartwatch that's worn in the consumer world. So we've definitely gone through a lot of pivots. Dual use or quadruple use for Bison's sake is, is a very hard thing to navigate. I'm happy to talk about that here. Yeah, that's that's amazing. And with such a um, all-purpose product, it must have been hard to find that product market fit at first. Yeah, so product market fit is a concept that I would say is the most important uh, thing for a company to sort out early on. And, and when we started five years ago, you know, the one thing I was very passionate about was that, okay, the ALS user has a problem. This community is, you know, the size and the problems are human machine interfacing and clicking on a computer. My mother, for example, couldn't click a, couldn't click a mouse to be able to change a page on the ebook. Um, but that's not enough for product market fit. Product market fit means uh, understanding exactly what product to sell, what features and functions the market needs, how much you're going to sell it for, what type of business model and who's going to buy it and, and confirming that they're going to buy it even before you ideally start the company. And so one thing that I, if I could wind back the clock to the beginning of the company, I would have established and done all that homework before starting Python because we had to sort it out along the way. It took us three years to sort that out. And ultimately we found product market fit in the defense sector for people who want to control drones for special forces. Um, and that was obviously a very roundabout way to dis discover product market fit for a very hard technology space. Um, and, and then also to be able to guide that, I would advise that any 
a person thinking about starting a company to also another thing that I've sorted out is the vision and the mission of the company. So Python's vision, meaning the end state in 10 years for what we seek to accomplish, it's to impact the galaxy by delivering the most used and loved neural interface wearables. Uh, and it took us five years to create that and, and a leadership offsite of our team. Of, you know, uh, we have 40 people now and the executives, about seven of us, you know, sorted that out. And it, that statement, that sentence is what's been giving us uh, enough clarity and ground truth to make hard decisions on which customers to pursue, which products to build. How do we want to build up the team? Do we, do we raise more VC funding or not? Um, we've raised $12 million in VC funding and we will be raising a lot more going into 2022. Uh, and so... Uh, you know, without a mission and a vision statement and without product market fit predefined, then every effort is spent by definition misaligned to where the company's going. So it's very important to sort those out, ideally, even before the first hire or the first dollar of VC or customer money is, is brought in. One of the quotes that I received from um, Bill Allette, who's a the head of the MIT's entrepreneurship center, he said that VC dollars is, is like turbo uh, rocket fuel. And if your rocket is off by by one degree, then your trajectory is going to be off by miles later on in space. And I would actually say it's, it's not just VC money, it's customers, it's, it's employees, it's every project you take on every day that you spend, unless it's totally aligned to where you're trying to head on your vision statement, then you will inevitably find yourself not heading in the right direction as quickly, as efficiently as you want. And it might be irreversible in terms of um, that trajectory. Oh, especially in the early days when it's so lean. That's really great advice about take the time to understand your 10-year vision and do a lot of, it sounds like you're saying do more paper homework. And of course, that's that there's that lean launch idea, the I-Core, you know, 100 phone calls, but understanding the product market fit, but you can't, I see what you're saying. You can't really have the product market fit without the vision. And the vision gives you the power in a way, the agency to say no. Yeah, that's really important, especially... Uh, the fact that we're building human machine interfaces that can be applicable and hunt literally hundreds of different ways that I've heard of over the last five years of how people want to use their technology. Well, um, I can make decisions based upon, okay, do I see near-term revenue for that? Do I see long-term revenue for that? Does that take us in the direction we want? Is it hard to build? Is it easy to build? Those decisions, I mean, if they're hard for the founder to build, to act, act on a map, Imagine the 40 employees trying to make day-to-day -day decisions. They need to have clarity. Um, and, and how do you hire the right people even? You need to have clarity. Um, so I would say that, yes, it's without the right DNA and, and you know heading and trajectory, then a company is really just going to be highly inefficient. Um, and it, it's just, it's, you don't want to add in um, that lack of uh, clarity when you're dealing with hard tech risk and you're dealing with market risk and you're dealing with business model risk. Those are three risks that you are trying to always de-risk and without clear direction, it just makes it much worse. Yeah, and in our, in our, we have an executive leadership learning path in this program and mission and culture is, you're, you're touching on all of that. And again, why it's so important and you have to be so intentional about it. Um, we're gonna we're gonna shift to talking to Julius today, but I really appreciate those insights and also how product market fit. You touch on also the two way aspect of it that you not only have to fit that market, but the market has to fit you. Like it's very hard to start with enterprise sales, for instance, because it just takes so stinking long, right? So, but let's shift to the you. So now you got funded from the ALS, got some early funding from the ALS Society. Yeah, so we have about one and a half million dollars from both the 
National Science Foundation, as well as ALS Association um, and Health and Human Services. Um, and we've had about $20 million of mostly DOD R&D dollars, DOD being Defense, Department of Defense, which is you know defense tech and federal dollars to build out our early technology for gesture control, primarily for special forces. Um, yeah, so that, that's primarily where the revenue is coming from, as well as you know the VC dollars that we've raised. So yes, yeah, so you started out with this this early funding from consumer, from ALS Association, but you found yourself, you pivoted to DOD work. So why don't we get into, so now you've gotten, I think you shared me 22 million. So in contracts in the DOD, but let's talk about the pluses and minuses of working with the Department of Defense. And let's start with the minuses first. I know sometimes there's just a lot of paperwork. Yeah, so there's there's several challenges to any company. Uh, DOD is just a labyrinth to navigate, but it's it's uh, what we focus on, and it's if uh, you seek to become a master at it, then then you can navigate the system. So number one, um, you know, important thing to mention as a minus, I'll mention three. Number one is that federal dollars generally cannot be spent towards paying for work outside the U.S., and it, and it generally cannot be spent to pay people who are not U.S. citizens. Um, and that's not always true, but literally when we bill the government on this number of people hours, then foreign nationals are just not allowed to be built um, because and, those and they don't like foreign. They don't like foreign VC money either. That can be very. Um, yeah, that that also is important um, because you know the U.S. needs to protect its interests and therefore it wants its tax dollars, especially because all federal money is tax dollars to be spent in it, and it wants to be. Um, aligned to U.S. investors as well to maximize U.S. interests. So that is also important because a lot of VCs don't necessarily qualify either for their funding to be uh, utilized in this way. It's gen hasn't limited price in any way. You know, hundred, you know, almost hundred percent of all our investors are uh, U.S. based, and, and one person out of forty people as our investors is is from a you know European country. So we are fine at, at Pison, but it's a challenge for other companies that I've um, interacted with and, and know about. What's the second downside? Uh, downside number two would be um, that there are a lot of regulations with um, tax dollars being spent, meaning that every employee needs to log their hourly time um, called timesheets. There are huge regulations for how data is stored, what types of tools, for example, you know, we can't just use regular Gmail, we have to use the business version of it. We can't just use regular Slack. We have to have our private cloud. Um, and even a lot of those tools that people use for software tools aren't allowed um, until, until government can keep up. Um, and even using, you know, can't use your personal, uh, can't have work data on your personal phones, for example. So oh, right. those things and are And then there's cyber very, maturity very model, there's NIST, there's, there's the Commerce yeah. Department. Yeah. Yeah. There, yeah. There's a. There's a. You know. There has to be a whole person in your in a company, even at a startup stage, where 40 people. We have a a person who is an IT and security ops specialist, right? So not only is it headcount and, and manpower, it's it's a it's a regular weekly conversation. And and even your security. engineers, yeah, even your engineers lose a half an hour a day or at least a week to compliance. So it, it's like you're over. You gotta be careful with overhead rates and charge a lot more. I know big companies like Raytheon charge four hundred percent overhead. They have to to stay compliant. Yeah, it's really challenging. Uh, definitely, you know. So it's not for the faint of heart, uh, as I'll say. And and really, this is not something that a a startup founder is going to naturally figure out. It has to involve hiring people pretty early on. 
who have done this before, who have done government work before on the IT side and the accounting side. Um, and, and it's uh, definitely something to go in eyes wide open with because you won't accidentally be successful. You have to be very intentionally be successful with it for this sort of compliance. That's, that's um, good advice. What's your, what's your third negative? The third negative is, is just understanding that the way money flows from the government to small businesses, for example, there are several business models that a startup could go into. They could just do SBIR, SIBR funding for R&D. Um, they could do R&D funding like a DARPA or BAAs, broad agency announcements from federal government. They can do program record sales. They could also do product sales, um, meaning just uh, the DOD buys a finished good versus yep. Um, a lot of services attached to that. Even integrated yeah. product, you can do that, but most stuff has to be integrated, right? Yes, yes, yeah, and that and that's um, anything with software and data is, is just incredibly challenging to deal with because of the security concerns. Um, and so, doing any sort of business development and defense ultimately requires selecting one of those. You know, I mentioned four defense type of business models. And then being able to hire experts who know how to do that and ultimately knowing that a lot of money comes from Congress or all the money comes from Congress initially upstream. And then it's attributed to Army or Air Force or Navy or Marines or National Guard. And then the program offices have a need to attach those dollars and allocate them to certain programs. So ultimately business development shaping several parties, you know, I think six or more parties. There's the users, there's the customers, there is the compliance um, person, there's the requirements. There is Congress, there is the, you know, the, you know, the generals who are above it. So it requires just so much awareness and buy-in from all the people. Uh, there's a very famous quote um, from the former, you know, acquisition executive from the army that says like, it's, you know, buying anything in the government, it's like you have 20 people on a bus and every single one of those people has, has a set of brakes. Um, and they all have to not press the brakes for procurement to happen. Um, it's yeah. very true. It's, it's yeah. very, very true. And, and so for a startup founder, you know, recognizing this is the beast that you're you know, up against. And it's just, you know, it's just how the world works. So either a person can, you know, be ready to dig in and, and understand every aspect of how procurement works, or it's just going to be highly intimidating. Um, and so, so it's basically super, super complex enterprise sales. You have to have an acquisition and procurement strategy. You have to um, influence a lot of parties from Congress to program offices. Have you had you have to have you had to work with Congress people or your congressperson? Yes. Yeah, it's really important that that you have congressional stakeholder buy-in and awareness of what you're doing. Um, that you know, we've I've met with 15 Congress offices and, and you know, members themselves and their staffers in the last month alone. And it's it's a lot of time um, and a lot of care and it's a lot of you know, helping them understand what you're doing and then also getting them excited based on what they care about, which are creating jobs, national security, um, being competitive against the other political party. Those are important things to be aware of um, as a and, company and just trying to get tech to the work better. Yes. And, and donations? Donations are part of gaining access to, to members. Um, so yes, that's a, that's a part of it. Uh, any company doing any, who has received any taxpayer dollars, you know, that's, that's an important thing to do is to be able to have relationship with your congressional offices and requires donations. Wow. And those donations have to come out of your personal pocket. Uh, they do unless a company creates a pack. Yes. yes. Oh my gosh, this is complicated. So you, so you have to hire an expert from the industry to develop and execute this strategy. It's very complex. 
Yeah, that's right. That's right. And I mean, we have two lobbyists. We have uh, our head of the business development is from, you know, who a uh, retired colonel in the Air Force. We have uh, a person we hired from Air Force Base. We have the finance person who came from a, a defense company um, previously. So thinking yeah. that just shipping, developing hard tech and shipping it is is viable is, is not enough. Yeah. Yeah. In the end, it's sort of like it's not the best technology that wins, does it? Uh, well, playing, you know, navigating the system, the procurement system is, is much more of the game than, than building technology. So it is the majority of my time um, as a founder and, and many people's time in the company. Um, and that's just, you know, that's just the nature of the beast. So it's important to understand that. Yes. Yes. Wow. So that's kind of overwhelming. Um, <laughs> why don't we talk about some of the, the pluses of working with the Department of Defense? We'll yes. close with the, the pluses, class. you know, I can, I can mention three. Number one, of course, is that um, developing, in Python's case, hard technology means that, you know, hard technology and the platform technology, you can think about who funded the internet first, who funded GPS first, who funded, you know, cloud first. It was the federal government. Um, and so I can't go up to Samsung and ask them for $20 million to fund their early technology before they can use it. They might find they might fund adaptation to actually get into their product to ship, but they won't fund fundamental research or applied research. Uh, and so that's called the technology readiness level, TRL level uh, from one to nine. And the federal government funds, you know, from one all the way to nine, obviously. And typically I would say the you know, commercial space is only going to fund, you know, seven, eight or nine in terms of that readiness. So um, you know, we've been able to find customers, number one, that are willing to pay for the early stage development. Number two is that we have access to thousands of end users in the federal government and, you know, users meaning soldiers um, or people who, who use our technology or, or the technologists. And so um, that's not easy to gain and they might not exist in the commercial space. Um, this, the defense side has wanted gesture control and our types of technologies a long time. They wanted it years ago when they first started talking about augmented reality on the battlefield and, and drones. So we have a nice fit for where they need our technology and we can test on it immediately. Um, and number three is that I mentioned, you know, a startup has to deal with a number of different dimensions of risk, technology risk, market risk and timing, and then business model risk. And so in the defense or the federal side, you know, there are very common business models that are used and there's no innovation that's needed to be done um, for that. And so it just tried and true pathways to getting different colors of funding available as long as a startup is able to type, tap into that. That's a really interesting insight. Okay. So let me summarize. The upsides are the compliance and overhead is kind of bananas. Um, it's a very complex enterprise sale. And I think I got them. And then Oh, and the other problem was um, the negative was no foreign nationals, which is difficult. Um, but the benefits are they're awesome early adopters. They'll pay you tens of millions of dollars to develop your technology. Like they just pay you to develop it. You have access to thousands of end users and the business model is proven. So even though it's hard to do that, set up all that strategy and influence all those people, when you have that machine running, it's a huge barrier to entry also for your competition. So that's very true. That's very true. We're, <laughs> so we are, just... <laughs> you're right. Barrier to entry is, is an important thing to think about. We're at Python building quite unique technology. Uh, yeah. We're the only company building gesture control in the federal space. Uh, we're already unique even in the commercial space because 
we'll be launching the first in the world top of the wrist neural sensing wearables control bands um, period you know and so we're unique overall um, but in the defense space we are the only company doing this and so therefore when people think about you know how would a person control a drone if they are don't want to lose situation awareness there's no other company to be considering except Python um, and so there's you know if you have a unique technology and you're willing to you know do a lot of uh, light work to be able to understand how the systems work um, and you have a team that's in, that's okay with that because that's also a challenge is hiring people who are willing to understand that this customer base is the one who's going to be the early adopter um, then then it can work but it's 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 not for the faint of heart and a person should real really understand that they hire a lot of people who are experts prior to you know even dabbling in it and you've had a lot of good learnings too. And what's interesting in your commercial space, you're talking to people who make up um, like watches, cell phone watches and stuff. You, you've had a lot of lessons learned already in enterprise sales. So there are lessons that carry over to commercial. That will be a subject, I suppose, for another chat. <laughs> um, so we're going to wrap it up here. Dexter, this has been amazing. Thank you for all your insights and your stories. And I'm looking forward to um, watching the continued success of Python. Yeah, thank you. There's a, uh, there's, you know, this is just like maybe the second chapter out of 15 for the company. So there's a lot uh, further to go and we've learned a lot and, and we're excited about the scale of our technology as we think about how the early duty investments will then be able to translate to the commercial world as well for a much larger scale. Love hearing that. Okay. Well, thank you very much. Thank you very much, Stacey. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Fundable Founder. Please go to our website at mass-ventures.com for more information on Mass Ventures and where you can also find other episodes just like this.